Before we pray and get started with the teaching, I got something really neat to share. Pastor Carl has a book out, another book out, Fearless and Free Sermons on the Book of Acts. This was, uh, I'm actually, I'm actually sharing this um, not to help Carl, but to brag about my wife, because she was the one who edited the sermons into a book um, and, and did a wonderful job. But Carl's teachings through the Book of Acts are all here. It's really good. Turned out looking cool, didn't it? And so go buy a copy so he has enough money to buy the 1967 Corvette he's always wanted. <laughs> and maybe be able to throw in a private plane, too. So, okay, but Lord, just, oh, yes, give out Bibles. I'm sorry. Okay, first part of the teaching, um, I'm going to actually be jumping all over the place, and the verses I use are all going to be up on the screen. So if you want to valiantly be turning through the Bible to keep up, that's okay, but everything will be up there. Eventually, we will be verse by verse through Psalms 5 and 6. So if you want to find that um, and be ready for it, that would work. So... Lord, just thank you for the opportunity to teach your word. I ask that you be with me, and then I can do honor uh, to you through this teaching. And just thank you for this congregation, for this church family, for everything that you have blessed myself and my wife with. And uh, just thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Um, and Angela is responsible both for Carl's book and for this teaching tonight. Um, Several years ago... Michael Card wrote a book titled Inexpressible, and my wife Angela listened to the audiobook, and she recommended it to me. Now, despite Angela having forced me to read all of Jane Austen's novels as a condition of being married to her, (laughs) I have learned to take her recommendation seriously. You know, uh, so I listened to the book, and I loved it as well. I actually kind of like the Jane Austen novels, just don't share that with anybody. Um, In fact, I've, I've learned that when I listen to Angela, when she recommends either books or subjects for teachings when I'm asked to teach on a Wednesday night, it usually turns out to be a good idea to listen to her. So tonight, at Angela's insistence, I'm going to be essentially stealing some of the excellent teaching from Michael Card's book. And the most important thing to remember about all of this is that if this turns out to be a really poor teaching, it is all Angela's fault. (laughs) So, you know, complain to her. Okay. So the book is about the Hebrew word hesed, and I'm actually using a modern anglicized pronunciation. When I say it that right, the original Hebrew starts with a sound similar to clearing your throat, which seems to happen a lot in Hebrew, and I can't get it right. I cannot do the original Hebrew pronunciation of it. So I'm just going to use the more anglicized pronunciation hesed, and if there's a Hebrew scholar listening, my apologies for my inability to wrap my tongue around uh, the original pronunciation. Anyway, hesed is used throughout the Old Testament, but it's translated in different ways depending on the context. The meanings, though, are all similar. Um, It can be translated as loving kindness, or faithful love, or constant love, or favor, or grace, or mercy. It can mean covenant loyalty. So it's a word that defines God's love for us in different but related ways. Uh, It's a word that assures us that God's love is everlasting and that he will always keep the promises that he makes. It's a word that assures the, the, the Israelites that God would never forsake them. You know, it's, it's a word that assures Christians today that God will always be with us. So hesed is used about 250 times in the Old Testament, over half those occurrences in the book of Psalms. Uh, to quote from Michael Card's book, 
As the love of God defines us, so Hesed provides the full meaning of that love. His loving kindness radically redefines, uh, redefines us from fallen to beloved, from outcasts to daughters and sons. Hesed resonates in us because it is part of who we were created to become. It represents what we're being transformed, recreated, reborn, redeemed to be. Hesed can shape our prayer life, our experience of worship, and most, important, most especially the posture we take as we engage the world around us. So we can see by looking at specific examples of how Hesed is used in the Old Testament, we can see how, how Hesed, how God's loving kindness reshapes people even in the very first time it's used in the Bible. That's in Genesis 19, which deals with the destruction of Sodom by God as punishment for the sins of the people who lived in that city. Um, so Genesis 19, 19, um, this is Lot thanking God for saving him when Sodom was destroyed. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness or hesed to me in sparing my life. So God shows Lot hesed or great kindness as it's translated in the NIV. Other versions translate this verse as loving kindness. The King James Version has Lot saying, uh, God has magnified thy mercy while another version says, magnified thy goodness. Yet another version has Lot saying, God has shown him even greater mercy. All these translations start with the same Hebrew word, hesed. And they tried to find the best possible, and each, the translators all tried to find the best possible way of presenting the meaning of that word in English. All of the words chosen by different translators, uh, great kindness, loving kindness, great mercy, magnified goodness, all of them are accurate. God's infinite mercy and grace are expressed in the word hesed. And there are, not surprisingly, many ways to translate this concept into a versatile language such as English. Uh, to quote from Michael Card again, understanding hesed is not a matter of settling on a single term. Its semantic range is simply too vast. Um, now, to the example used uh, with Lot, it helps to remind ourselves of Lot's story in, uh, the, to give Genesis 19 pro proper context. You remember Abraham's nephew Lot was living in the city of Sodom. He ended up there through what one commentator calls a steady progression of compromise. Lot's desire was to find a profitable place to live, regardless of where that was. In Genesis 13, Abraham and Lot were going their separate ways uh, because their servants were quarrel quarreling about available resources. Abraham let Lot choose first where to go. So from Genesis 13, Lot looked around and saw the, saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. So Lot's only concern was where he would prosper, not the fact that he was moving in with wicked people. So he pitched his tent near Sodom, and in Genesis 14, we learn that he actually moved into Sodom. But in Genesis 19, even though he was messing up, even though he was living a life that was taking him apart from God, God sends two angels to warn him about the impending destruction of the city and tells him to go. So God showed great kindness. He showed loving kindness to Lot, even though Lot had been growing apart from God in the way he lived his life. And that's the essence of hesed. God's love for us never fails. 
Lot was living a life of moral compromise, but God never forgot him and still acted to save him. It's just the way, this is just how God reaches out to us today. You know, remember why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, just to do that whole verse from Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love for us, for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love for us will never fail, culminating in Christ's sacrifice on the cross to save us from our sins. So Romans was written in Greek. So the word translated as love in Romans 5.8 is agape. And we all know that. That's one of our favorite words here. And it's not inaccurate to say that hesed and agape are synonymous to an extent. But hesed can really be much more. Agape uh, is the fatherly love of God for humans, as well as the human reciprocal love for God. Um, Michael Card points out that hesed is this and more. It, it also encompasses God's faithfulness towards us, his loyalty and graciousness and mercy and truthfulness. All of this is at least implied in the word agape, but it's a profound part of the word hesed. Let's look at another example. Um, of the use of hesed. This is from Psalm 136. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love, his hesed, endures forever. So that refrain, his love endures forever, his hesed endures forever, is used as a refrain in all 26 verses of this psalm. And it's a psalm that emphasizes God as the creator of the universe, in whose love for us is a part of his unchanging character. Um, it, it can be literally, you can literally say it literally means that God's love for us is built into the universe he created. Um, one commentator said, the Lord's loyal love, Hesed, mentioned in each of the 26 refrains, is his covenant faithfulness to his chosen people whom he loves. And that covenant faithfulness, that Hesed, it never, ever, ever fails. Um, let's look at another example of Hesed used to mean great kindness which we find in Genesis 24. This is after the death of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Abraham wants his son, Isaac, to have a wife, but he doesn't want him to marry any of the pagan women who live in Canaan. So he sends a servant to North Syria uh, to find a wife among, the, among his, his own relatives. When the servant arrives, he waits by a well outside of town, knowing it's the time of day when the women will, bring out, will come out to water the camels. And he makes the following prayer from Genesis 24. He prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness, hesed, to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your, your servant Isaac. By this, I will show you, I, I will know that you have shown kindness to or hesit to my master. So the servant's essentially asking that the right girl, the girl that God intends as Isaac's wife, will show hesit to him when he asks for water. Uh, there's one commentator who has a great summary of this. It's a, it's a tiny bit of a long quote, but I think it's worth it. Um, it was a sign that was calculated to throw much light on the, on the character and the disposition of the girl worthy of his master's son. He was merely asked, uh, he, was to, he was merely to ask for a sip, as the Hebrew word may be rendered, of water for himself. But the one whom God has chosen to be as the mother of a great people and a remote ancestress of Jesus Christ 
would reveal her generous nature and her willingness to serve others by offering him not a mere sip of water, but an abundant drink. To this, she was also to add the astonishing offer of drawing water for the camels also. Now, when we consider that, there, that these 10 beasts, after the, toil of, after the toil of the long desert, were prepared to empty at least four barrels of water in all, the spontaneous willingness of the girl of his prayers to serve man and beast would point to a kindly and unselfish disposition and also to a character of the highest order. So when Rebecca comes to the well, we see that she does indeed show this level of kindness. The servant asks for a sip, she gives him a, an abundant drink, and then she offers to fill up at least four barrels of water for the camels. So um, she shows hesit to him. She shows great kindness to somebody she had just met. So we see that great kindness, hesed, is something that God shows us and that he expects us to show to each other. If we jump ahead a few generations, we find Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, in prison, though he's innocent of any crime. You all know the story. Joseph was his father's favorite. His brothers were jealous. Essentially, his brothers sell him into slavery and tell their dad he was eaten by a wild beast. I looked for opportunities to do that with my little brother when I was growing up, and it just never arose. So Joseph ends, in, ends up in Egypt, you know, working for an important man named Potiphar. Now, he's falsely accused of trying to seduce or rape Potiphar's wife, and he's tossed into the slammer. So his life seems awful and without purpose. It's just one terrible thing after another. But God has a purpose, and it will all culminate with Joseph's becoming Pharaoh's most important official and using Joseph to save many lives during a severe famine. Um, we'll pick up the story in Genesis 39. Joseph is still in jail. But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. He showed him hesed and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all, um, who held, who, all those held in, in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So God was requiring Joseph to endure a great trial. But even within that context, God is showing hesed. Joseph is being well-treated by the warden and he's getting experience in leadership and in dealing with bureaucracy, this experience that will serve him well when he's put in charge of the entire country of Egypt. So God's love for us, his hesed, is eternal, and we're shown it again and again throughout the Bible. It defines God's loving character for us, and it gives us a model of how we should live our own lives. Though I mentioned, though as I mentioned, hesed has a deeper and more multifaceted meaning than the Greek word agape. In the context of great kindness, it's, it's telling us uh, much the same thing. Rahab the prostitute from Joshua 2, she knew this. When the two Israelite spies were checking out Jericho, she hid them from the authorities. And when she was helping the two spies escape from Jericho, she told them this from Joshua 2. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness or show hesed to my family because I have shown hesed to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them that you will save us from death. So 
she helped the two spies and hoped to be shown kindness in return. Once again, this mirrors the way God expects us to act towards each other. It's not a bargain. You be nice to me and then I'll be nice to you. But it does establish an expectation within a Christian family, um, and that includes our church family as a whole, that we will exhibit hesed towards each other. The future King David, before he was king, was a soldier under King Saul, and he was incredibly successful. Um, he went out and killed 200 guys just so that he could get engaged to somebody. Um, you know, he was a really good soldier and a good leader. So out of jealousy, Saul tried to have David killed. So David ran for it and become a fugitive. Now, while this was going on, Saul's son, Jonathan, um, had been David's best friend, and he knew that Saul was in the wrong. He knew his father was in the wrong. So Jonathan knows that God has chosen David as the next king, and this is something that Saul is refusing to accept. That Jonathan accepts this is a remarkable example of his strong character. Jonathan probably would have been the next king otherwise, but he knows and accepts that this isn't God's plan. So eventually, he manages to arrange a meeting with David. And from 1 Samuel 20, he says to David, do not ever cut off your kindness, your hesit from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan is asking David to show great kindness towards Jonathan's family. He wants to make sure that David doesn't seek revenge against Saul's family in general and that Jonathan's children are cared for. And David does promise this, and he honors that promise after he becomes king. Once again, this mirrors the kindness and love that God shows towards us. And again, it shows God's expectation of how we treat each other. Um, the next example I have, actually, it would make a great Bible trivia question. For, let's say, $1 million, who can name the only good guy Philistine in the Bible? Anybody? Oh, I'm embarrassed for a lot of you. I thought you were all biblical scholars. So nobody gets the million dollars. So that, in uh, 2 Samuel 15, we see a remarkable example of Hesed shown by a Philistine. Now, David is king, but as Shakespeare says, uneasy lies the head uh, that wears the crown. David's son Absalom has rebelled against him and seems to have the upper hand and he forces David to flee Jerusalem. Some of David's loyal followers went into exile with him. This includes Ataya the Gittite, who was originally from the Philistine city of Gath. So he and 600 others from Gath had pledged loyalty to David and had stuck by him. I really want to know the backstory to that because we have no idea. It's one of the things I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. Um, how the heck did that happen? So remember at this point, when David's on the run again, the situation looks bad. You know, the local bookies are all giving odds in favor of Absalom permanently taking the throne. David doesn't want a tie to coming unless the Philistine really understood the situation. So from 2 Samuel 15, the, the king said to Ataya, the Gittite, why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You're a foreigner, an exile from your homeland, and you came, you came only yesterday. And today... Shall I make you wander about with us when I don't know where I'm going? Go back and take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness or hesed and faithfulness. But Ataya knows that hesed isn't something you do when it's convenient. He knows that it's something that should define your life. 
So, but Attiah replied to the king, as surely as the Lord lives, as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. So Attiah shows Hesed faithfulness by sticking with his king, even when the going is rough and the outcome is uncertain. This kindness, of course, is perfectly shown to us in Jesus Christ. The purpose of his ministry was to call us to repentance and to give his life so that our sins can be forgiven. And that purpose was highlighted by acts of great kindness. Most of his miracles were used to heal people. They were essentially acts of hesed. The Gospels list a total of 37 specific miracles, and that's in addition to the times we're told he healed many without giving us specific details. Of those 37 miracles, 29 were healing people, raising the dead, or driving out demons. Two more were feeding the hungry. So Jesus most often demonstrated his godhood by doing miraculous acts of kindness towards those most in need. He shows empathy for the poor and suffering. In the parable of the sheep and the goats from Matthew 25, he urged us not to earn our salvation, which can't be done, but to demonstrate and sanctify our faith through love and kindness. In the parable, in the parable God in the final judgment has divided people into sheep on the right, whoop, there's my right, and goats on the left. Um, so from the parable, then the king will say to those on his right, to the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did, when, did you, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The Lord replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So we need to look at this parable, of course, in context to all biblical teachings. Jesus isn't saying we get to heaven because we've done good deeds. He's saying that if we are saved, this is the kind of sort of kindness and generosity and love that should define our behavior. So God shows hesit towards us, and he expects us to show hesit towards each other. Paul directly tells us we need to follow God's example um, in Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as his fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, if that verse had been written in Hebrew rather than Greek, it would have used hesed at least twice. And he repeats the need for kindness, Paul does, to, to others over and over again. From Galatians 6, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give it up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to, to those who belong to the family of believers. Um, from Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, Christ God, just as in Christ God forgave you. And 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore, encourage therefore encourage one another and build up each other, just as in fact you are doing. So hesed is, can be defined as great kindness. Um, it can also be defined as covenant love or simply loyalty. 
Loyalty uh, can be said to be an expression of love. We're more likely to be loyal to those we love. God, of course, loves us all, so it's not surprising that he's always loyal to us, which means he always keeps his promises or his covenants with us. Now, ironically, the first time hesed is used to express loyalty to, uh, um, is a person misusing it. This happens in Genesis 20, uh, verse 13. The context is when Abraham is living in the nation of Gur, which is ruled by a king named Abimelech. Abraham actually is messing up in exact, the exact same way he did 20 years earlier when he went to Egypt. He's worried that some local ruler will kill him to get his wife, Sarah, because Sarah is said to be very, very beautiful. I've always pictured her as looking just like Angela. He tells her, uh, so he tells her to pretend to be his sister. So when Abimelech does take her because he doesn't know she's married, God personally intervenes before he can sleep with her. So Abimelech is kind of understandably mad at Abraham for the deception. So Abraham explains why he did it, saying, I said to her, this, you, and this is how you can show your love, your hesit to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So the NIV here translate, has, translates hesit as love, but the context is loyalty or faithful love. There's at least one Bible translation that does translate it as loyalty. So in going along with the deception, Sarah mistakenly felt she was obligated to lie to commit a sin to demonstrate her loyalty for her husband. Uh, wives should be loyal to their husbands, but their husbands should never be obligated them to commit a sin. So, and Abraham was definitely wrong to use that loyalty to ask her to do, to do something wrong, to tell a lie. It's an example of our sinful nature. Our tendency as fallen humans to twist something good, like Hesed, into something evil. So fortunately, we have many examples of covenant loyalty as expressed by God to show this trait in a purer form. Deuteronomy 7, for instance, God is reminding the Israelites that he will be with them as they enter the promised land and drive out pagan nations. Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is, faith he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love, his hesed, to a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. Uh, a few verses later in verse 12, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love, his hesit with you, as he swore to, uh, to your ancestors. I'm sorry, excuse me a moment. So God has promised to be with Israel, and he keeps his promises. Now notice that God's promise is conditional. The Israelites are expected to obey his commandments and obey God. Otherwise, he will punish them. God is never unfaithful. Sadly, human beings often are. So God will always love us and be faithful, but that doesn't give us a free pass on our sins. We still have responsibilities towards God, while his love and loyalty towards us gives him a responsibility to chastise us when, when we do sin. You know, Proverbs 3 tells us, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father, the son he delights in. One commentator sums that up this way. We can also acknowledge the Lord by submitting to his discipline. Too often, we tend to think of discipline as meaning punishment, but it actually includes all that is involved in the proper training of a child. Instruction, warning, encouragement, advice, correction, and chastising. Everything that the God allows to come into our lives is purposeful. We should not detest it or despise it. 
So God's loyalty to us, his hesed towards us, can take the form of discipline or asking us to do difficult tasks. Look back at Joseph again. God really put him through the ringer. You know, he's sold into slavery by his own brothers, falsely accused of a crime and imprisoned for that. All through this, though, Joseph never forgot about God. He would have had no idea why all this was happening. He wasn't in prison thinking, aha, God's going to make me the second most powerful man in the world, isn't he? He had no idea. He didn't know what God's plan was, but he knew that God had a plan. He remained faithful to God, learned how to be a good leader, when be put in charge of first Potiphar's house, and later as a sort of trustee in prison. Consequently, God was able to use him to save millions of lives during the ensuing famine. God's loyalty to Joseph, his hesed, is sometimes only obvious in hindsight, but it was there all along. Or look back again at David. He was a loyal and skilled soldier. He was winning battle against, after battle against the, uh, the hostile nations that surrounded Israel. He was serving God faithfully through loyalty to King Saul and in defending his homeland. But his reward seemed to be Saul trying to kill him and David forced to become an outlaw. But God used this to train David to be a good leader and to trust in God fully so that he'd be ready to be king when the time came. There's another promise to Israel that comes in Exodus 15 in the Song of Moses. To give context to this, it's a song sung after God saved the Israelites from the Egyptians by parting the Red Sea, allowing his people to travel across the sea, and then bringing the waters down on the Egyptians, drowning them. One verse of the song goes like this from Exodus 15, 13. In your unfailing love, your hesed, you will lead, you will lead the people you have redeemed. There's a commentator who boils that down very simply. God in his unfailing love, hesed, or loyal love, would then lead his own, his own into the holy dwelling of, in the promised land. So God promises to take them to uh, the promised land. Because of their later rebellion against him, this would take 40 years, and it would be a new generation that actually enters the promised land. But God himself is faithful and keeps that promise in his own good time and in response to how his people either obeyed or disobeyed him. We see the same thing in several other places in the books of Moses, Exodus 26, Exodus 34, 6, Exodus 34, 7, Numbers 14, 18, Deuteronomy 5, 10. Several of these verses include the phrase that God will show love, show hesed, for a thousand generations. Now, this, of course, is metaphorical. It's, it's like when Jesus said we should, forgive, we should be willing to forgive seven times, 70 times. It's not setting a limit. It's saying that God will show hesed forever. When Solomon dedicated the temple, his prayer to God included this from 1 Kings 8. Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love, of hesed with your servants who continue, wholeheart, uh, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. So Solomon goes on to acknowledge that God is showing hesed toward, uh, showed hesed towards David by keeping his promise to make David king then he calls on God to continue to show Hesed. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep, your servant David, keep, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you will never fail to have a successor to sit before you on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as, as you have done. And now, God of Israel, yet let your word that you promised to your servant David, my father, come true. So God had promised that an ancestor of David would sit on the throne forever. 
And that fulfillment of the promise began about a thousand years later. So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David and the line of David. There he went to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. So Jesus would be proof of God's hesed, of his covenant loyalty towards us. Once again, we still have responsibilities. We must acknowledge that we are sinners, and we must ask Jesus to be our Savior. But God keeps his end of the deal without fail. God never allowed the Jewish people to be destroyed, um, even when he had to punish them. If you want proof that God exists, all you have to do is keep in mind that the Jewish people, after everything that happened to them throughout history, are still a definable people group, because that just should not have happened after all they went through. Eventually, their apostasy led God to have them conquered by the Babylonians and taken into exile. But just as God had promised, he brought them home again, and the temple was rebuilt. After the return to Israel, the people recognized God's covenant loyalty, and they praised it. From Ezra chapter 3, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good, his love, hesed, towards Israel endures forever. All the people gave a shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Nehemiah made the same point as he looks back at Israel's history after the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt from Nehemiah 9. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return, them to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, or abounding in hesed. Therefore, you do not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image in a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. So once again, most English translations uh, translate hesed in these verses as love or loving kindness. But the context here is always a loyal and faithful love, a covenant loyalty. No matter what, no matter how much we mess up, God will be there for us when we turn to him. Paul writes about this in Romans. Romans chapter 8. This is, if I had to pick up my favorite stuff of everything, my favorite verses of everything God wrote, everything Paul wrote, this would be it. Uh, who will separate us from the Messiah's love? Can trouble, distress, persecution, hunger, nakedness, danger, or violent death do this? As it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are, thought of, we, are, we are thought of as sheep heading for slaughter. In all these things, we are triumphantly victorious due to the one who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor anything above, nor anything below, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is ours in union with the Messiah Jesus, our Lord." Um, so God's faithfulness is forever. God's hesed is forever. God's kindness towards us is forever. Um, you know, turn to, this is where we'll go verse by verse. So if you're not in Psalm 5, turn there. Um, it provides us with a great example of hesed. The word's only used once. We'll come across it when we get to verse 7. But looking at the entire prayer helps give it uh, proper context. So Psalm 5, the first three verses. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my, uh, my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. 
In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. So this is a Psalm of David. And immediately we see several aspects of David's faithfulness to God. He wrote it when he was in danger from unscrupulous enemies. The first thing he does every morning is cry out to God for help every morning. David's a talented guy. He's a good leader and he's a brave and skilled warrior, but he doesn't depend on himself. He calls out for God and he does this faithfully. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. This is a regular morning prayer for David when the change of from darkness to light can renew our hope. It's his natural inclination to bring his fears and his problems to God right away. One commentator points out his prayers are not spasmodic, but regular. And he's confident that God is listening, even if from our human perspective, God doesn't seem to answer the prayers right away. Um, the next couple of verses, starting with verse four. You are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You, you destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and de de deceitful you, Lord, detest. So David is threatened by enemies, but he takes comfort in God's absolute holiness. God hates evil in all forms, and evil exists apart from him, even though he can, it's also under his sovereign control. Judas, for instance, committed an act of evil when he betrayed Jesus. He sinned of his own free will, and he was responsible to God for that sin. But at the same time, Judas was used as a part of God's plan to bring salvation to the whole world. God hates evil, but he can turn all things to good. Now, Psalm 5, verse 7. But I, by your great love, your hesed, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down towards your holy temple. So this verse anchors the entire psalm. He knows God hates sin, and he knows that he himself is a sinner. This was probably written before the whole Bathsheba thing, but David had the same sinful nature we all do. He would have stumbled from time to time, and God would have hated every sin that David ever committed. But he still came into God's presence. He can still pray to God and know that God is listening. Why does he know this? Because he knows God's great love. God's loving kindness, God's mercy. He knows God's hesed. God is always there for us. He's always merciful when we repent or when we come to him in open-hearted, honest prayer. David knows he can share whatever he's feeling with God, and God will listen. God's holy, and we aren't, but he will still be there for us when we need him. So verse 8, "'Lead me, Lord, to your righteousness.'" Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With, with their tongues, they tell lies. So God is asking, he's, David's essentially asking God for, for guidance. Because God is just, only God can guide David safely past those who are doing evil. Everything about his enemies is an anathema to God's holiness. Without God's guidance, David would be lost among his enemies. In verse 10, declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be, be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. So God recognizes that our righteous judge, God is our righteous judge. David, sorry, David recognizes that God is our righteous judge who will in his own time pass judgment on the unrepentant. We have to remember looking at this verse in context of the entire Bible, that these people doing evil, if they repented, God would accept them and forgive them. 
uh, but they are not repenting. And, that, and, and God's love is infinite, but it's not wishy-washy or blind. God does not ignore evil. He will forgive evil if there is sincere repentance, but he will not just say, I love you guys, it's okay, and ignore sin. That's not the sort of love that God, God has for us. It's not a real love. David knows this, and he shows confidence in God's righteousness by asking God to be, bring judgment on sinners. In the last couple of verses of the psalm, let us take all, let, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them, uh, let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, for those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you brought, bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as, as with a shield. So for the righteous, uh, those who have come to God for forgiveness and given their lives to him, God is a refuge. He's a safe place filled with joy. This is God's hesed. This is his everlasting love for us. If we come to him, he is always there for us. It doesn't mean he won't ask us to do hard things. His rewards for our hesed will often be hard and difficult work. He tasked David with being an outlaw whose own king wanted to kill him. He tasked Joseph with being a slave and a prisoner for years. He tasked Paul and Silas to be thrown in prison and get flogged in order to bring their jailer to Christ. He eventually tasked Paul to give his life, as he did with Stephen and James and Peter and John the Baptist and countless other martyrs over the last two millennia. He will ask us to do hard things. Um, and he would he, and not infrequently ask a Christian to lay down his or her life. But it's always with a purpose, whether we know that purpose or not. But he'll bring us comfort during our difficult work, and he'll, he'll allow us to find joy in that work. And after we've given him everything we can give in this world, he's, he's there for us afterwards when he brings us into eternal glory. Um, so let's move on to Psalm 6 where David's really feeling down, but brings what he's feeling to God. The first three verses of Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Uh, David's really being a Debbie Downer here, isn't he? And we don't know the circumstances under which he wrote the psalm, so we don't know if he's concerned that if he sinned or if he's assuming his troubles were a result of sin or if he's just having a horrible time and he doesn't know why. But in either case, he does the right thing. He brings what he's feeling to God and he trusts in God. And why does he know he can trust in God? That comes from verses four and five. Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love or your, your hesed. Among the dead, no one can proclaim your name. Who praises you from the grave? So he knows that he can trust God because of God's unfailing love, God's hesed. He knows God will be faithful. He knows that even if he stumbles, God will be there. God's loving love and faithfulness and loyalty will never falter. David knows this. And he wants to stay alive because he wants to be able to serve God longer in this life. Um, David knew there was an afterlife. It's important to take verse five of the psalm in proper context with other scriptures and other things that David said and wrote. He knows there's an afterlife, but he wanted to do the work God had given him in this world before moving on to the next. Our present life is an important stage of a relationship with God. None of us should have a death wish so we can go to heaven. We've got work to do here 
And that's important, and that's an important part of serving God. So as in Psalm 5, Hesed is the linchpin of this psalm. Everything David says is based on his knowledge of God's unfailing love. Uh, verses 6 through 8, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow and they fall because, uh, because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. So David, sorry. <clears throat> David continues to bring his feelings of desperation and weakness to God. And as we see in verse eight, he trusts that God hears him. And this trust in God's love, God's hesed is what saves him. The last two verses of the Psalm. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. So God knows the, sorry, David knows the character of God. He knows that God is always there for him. He knows that God knows what he's feeling and he doesn't try to hide it. He brings it all to God because David knows that God's love for him is unfailing. That's what brings him out of his depression and brings him confidence that God will bring him victory. So God's hesed, God's love, God's faithfulness is always there for us. Um, it, we may have difficult times, but that is part of God's plan too. It's important to see all the examples of God's loyalty to, uh, to his followers. It's also encouraging to see examples of the faith shown by many biblical heroes towards God. Um, and we're going to finish up with a couple more examples of that. We've looked at Joseph and David, both of who responded to God's faithfulness by showing faithfulness to God, even when they had no idea what God's plan would be and even when everything seemed to be just horrible. Noah is another example of incredible faithfulness. The word hesed isn't used in his story, but he's a great example of the loyalty and obedience we should all exhibit towards God. So 150 years to build a big boat. You know, God was allowing men to live a lot longer than, than he does now. So probably the idea of a long time was a little different for people back then. Yeah, I'll go get the milk, Angela. I'll do it like six years from now. It doesn't matter. Okay, so, but nonetheless, 150 years to build a big boat without any water nearby is a long time from any perspective. Noah was showing extraordinary faith. He was showing extraordinary hesit towards God. The book of Ruth gives us another great example. Um, Ruth was from Moab, not from Israel. But her, when her Jewish mother-in-law, Naomi, intended to return to Israel, Ruth opted to go with her, saying from Ruth chapter one, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Remember that hesed is something God expects us to show towards each other, as well as to God. Ruth set aside the idolatry of her country, and gave herself to God, then expressed this by remaining loyal to Naomi. She stayed with Naomi during what would have been a long and dangerous journey from Moab to Bethlehem, and then further expressed that loyalty by looking after Naomi through the very hard work of gleaning leftover crops from a field to gather food for them both. God rewards her faithfulness by bringing a godly man into her life and making her a part of the Messianic line. Ruth could not have known what God's plan was for her life. She was young in her faith, and she might not even have thought that God had a plan for her at all. But God worked through her faithfulness, through her hesed, to bless her, and through her line, bless all mankind. 
In a healthy church family, Hesed inspires more Hesed. Ruth was faithful to Naomi. Her future husband, Boaz, saw this and was in turn faithful to her. Rahab in Jericho showed Hesed towards the spies, and in turn, the Israelites showed Hesed to her and her family. Like Ruth, Rahab became a part of the Messianic line, an ancestor of Christ. David showed Hesed to Jonathan's son because Jonathan showed Hesed to David. On his deathbed, David told Solomon to show Hesed to the people who had supported David during Absalom's rebellion. So one more quote from Michael Card's book. We extend mercy and offer forgiveness as followers of Jesus, not to manipulate some sort of system whereby we expect to receive something in return, but because we've been recipients of his mercy and respond from a sense of gratitude to him. So we're not kind to someone primarily because we want that kindness returned. But among strong Christians in a good church, that's kind of what happens. We reach out to one another. We remember when someone helped us, and when they have a need, we're more conscious of that need and more willing to respond to it. Even more importantly, we can exhibit kindness and forgiveness to others because God has shown kindness and undeserved forgiveness to us. We have a strong church family here, and we see each other helping each other all the time. We see that all the time. We see acts of kindness, both small and large, all the time in this church. And so just keep doing that. Um, you're doing good. This is a great church. This is a strong church because we show hesed towards each other. And it's something that should influence our behavior inside and outside the church. And so we'll end from a, with a verse from Micah. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So God, just thank you for the hesed, for the faithfulness you show to us. And just... Be with us always to help us to show that same level of kindness and faithfulness um, to each other, to be faithful to you in all things, to be obedient to you in all things, even when you ask us to do something difficult or hard or put us through the ringer for some reason. And just let us always continue to show kindness and love towards each other in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.